Hello, and welcome back to Love That Movie Pod. I'm Ellen, as always, and we're just here to talk about movies we love, movies that make us happy, and um, I'm joined this time by a good friend of the show, um, Brian Gill, from Mad About Movies Podcast, and uh, we're here to talk about one of his favorite movies. What's up? Thanks for having me. I'm excited <laughs> I'm to be here. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, well, uh, just kind of a return the favor type of scenario. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to be asked to be on your podcast many times. So no, it's always it's always our pleasure when you're on our show. We always get great compliments from uh, from the listeners when you're on. So I'm excited to be here. It's fun to be on the other side of things and be be the uh, the guest instead of the host. The pressure's on yeah. you. I don't have to do anything. I can just. <laughs> it's definitely very different from being. <laughs> have you had a contentious being, uh... guest yet? That's when it gets real fun to be to be the podcast host. <laughs> not yet so far yeah. i have had only friends but uh we shall see <laughs> okay good good we've had a couple of contentious is probably not the right word we've had a couple of guests at times over the course of however many years we've been doing this where it's just like you feel like you're having to pull out every word from them and you're just like hey come on you gotta you gotta help us out a little bit so you wanted to be yeah here. exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. i yeah i can only imagine i mean who knows if anyone, you know, is going to end up listening to this or get anyone like reaching out. But like, it's a leap of faith to like bring someone on that like you've yeah. either only emailed with or only chatted with on like y'all's VIP or something sure, like sure, that. Sure. And like, I don't know what you sound like when you talk or if you like actually have good things to say. Yeah, totally. That's that's always the killer is, uh, you know, bad audio. You can kind of work around things like that. Sometimes people get on and they just don't have a voice for radio, which is totally fine, but it just makes it hard to where you're trying to, to figure out how to get things through and, and make the, make the episode seem fun or interesting. And then people get nervous. They get on and they're just like, I kind of, okay, thanks for, you know, and you're just like, it's, it's cool. It's we're total dorks. It's not a big deal. Like, let's just talk. Let's, let's have some fun. I mean, I definitely have been like, gotten off a conversation with y'all and been like why was I like unable to say <laughs> the stuff that like was literally thinking about saying sure sure sure, yeah but I've definitely learned a lot about myself and my little verbal tics even just with recording two episodes oh totally yeah They're... I listened back to the second episode that put out this morning and it was like I say the word like way too much <laughs> and I know that that's yeah. a thing of my generation and it doesn't bother some people but yeah, is... I just hear my mom's voice in the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of an unrelenting medium if you're a self-critic. You know, you you just, I listen to the, this would be my, I don't want to come on your show and give you advice. The only thing I would tell you is I, I probably no, listened please. to the first few episodes that we did. And then I listen occasionally, more often than not, when somebody asks a question about something that we did in the show that I don't remember or references something specifically I may go back and listen occasionally and in, when I randomly do that I will let myself have 15 minutes of okay what are some things that we could be working on or that I could be working on what's what's something that's a little bit different for me but for the most part after those first few episodes I just stopped listening because you you get in your head so much of like oh I said mm-hmm. I do the same thing I said like too much I had too many verbal little hiccups and typos and stuff like that and it kind of, <laughs> after a while it gets in your in your own head so you just kind of have to for me at least that's my only advice whenever uh, people are starting their own podcast is just like just be professional about it but don't don't listen back if you can avoid it too much because it really does get in your head yeah so trying to keep it as much of a one take show sure. so I don't have to listen all the way through is the goal. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh but yes, thank you for coming on. I'm excited to talk about the movie uh you uh chose, which is Almost Famous. Almost famous. A great one. This is so many, many years ago when uh Mad About Movies was it was for our hundredth episode and we just we just celebrated our six hundredth episode a couple of months ago. So it's been a very long time. Um we did that for that episode we did our top ten favorite movies of all time. Each of mm-hmm. us made our list. And Almost Famous was third on my list and um talking about self-critical like anytime I put out a list I immediately am like no that's wrong I should have done something differently I should have had this this in this place or swap this movie it's just a it's ever evolving um 
Star Wars has always been my favorite movie, and I love Star Wars, and that's that's the first like thing that was a, um, a pop cultural entity to me was Star Wars. And so I always mm-hmm. say, oh, my favorite movie is Star Wars. And over the last few years, it's not that my love for Star Wars has faded any or that I have disliked the <laughs> movies. I love all these movies. It's that it's become very not fun to talk about Star Wars, and I'm just kind of tired of it. Yeah. And so when you sent this and you said, hey, we're talking you know, your favorite movie or or a favorite movie or something, I thought mm-hmm. about it. And I was like, you know what? I think actually Almost Famous is my favorite movie now. So I'm, I'm going to change that to start saying yeah. That. Uh, it doesn't and yeah and I, I feel that it's hard to love something like star wars and to take an approach to be like i still love this and it is still fun for me yes. and i understand that there are problems with like plot and like things could have been d- done differently and whatnot but like it it takes away like your fun as a fan when people are like you can't like this anymore yeah. And it makes you not a fan mm-hmm, anymore mm-hmm. because you still are having fun with it. And it's like, ugh, like I, it's yeah. painful. Yeah. yeah. It's just become, even putting aside the, the toxic elements of the fan base, I always, I'm like, you, if you don't like me, that's great. You're, you know, when you come to our show, you are always going to get our opinions on what we think about a movie. It's never going to be a, a contrived thing or a... Uh, you know, my favorite is always like, well, you guys are Marvel shills. And I'm like, please, please let Marvel start paying us. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, no, you're just going to get my opinion on things. And if you don't like them, that's totally great. And there's valid criticisms of everything of, of every movie really. Um, but it, I don't know. There's just been over the last few years, it's just become, it's become not fun. It's gotten to the point where, you know, not too long ago, if somebody wanted to bring up Star Wars in a casual conversation, I'm just like, let's do it. This sounds awesome. Like, where were you 20 <laughs> years ago when I was a total nerd by myself playing with action figures, you know? Um, and now it's gotten to be the point where somebody starts mentioning Star Wars and I just like kind of Kool-Aid man out of the conversation. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. So, yeah. Um, so I always say, I, I think, I think my new phrase, Ellen, is I'm going to say that if you, my, my favorite uh, or my favorite uh, series is Star Wars. My favorite individual movie uh, is Almost Famous. So I'm I'm pumped to talk to you about it. Awesome, awesome. So um, yeah, give me a little bit of background of like when you first saw this and kind of all that good stuff. I love Cameron Crowe, one of my favorite directors. This came out when I was uh, 17, I think. Um, and I didn't see it until the next year. It, th- you know, this movie made no money in theaters, and it wasn't super relevant, I don't think. But it's not designed to make money either, so that's kind of mm-hmm. part of it. But um, I remember this will age me greatly, but I remember renting this at Blockbuster <laughs> on a double VHS um, because <laughs> we didn't have a DVD player at that point. My parents didn't. I didn't have a DVD player until I went to college the next the next fall, uh, and my roommate mm-hmm. had one. So I feel ancient at the moment. But uh, but I yeah, I just I don't know why this one stuck out as like a movie that seventeen eighteen year old me was like I've got to see that. But it did. It just I, I remember seeing the the trailers on on TV or whatever, and just thought that just looks like a movie that I want. And it probably was way outside the the realm of what I typically was into at that time, but there was just something about it that, that kind of called to me and rented it and watched it and just completely fell in love with it. And it's become one that I don't know if you're like this. I mean, this may be a weird outlier for, for just me, but like my star Wars, I've watched dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the course of my Mm -hmm. life, various iterations of it. And now I have a kid. And so that's part of it too. He loves star Wars. So we watch that pretty perpetually I've only watched almost famous maybe 10 to a dozen times something like that because I never want it to stop being what it is to me I never want it to lose that magic that I have with it and Mm -hmm. I don't it's not that I think it ever will but gosh if it ever did I would be just completely devastated because I love this movie so much and it has uh it has a charm to it that to me you know Cameron Crowe kind of invented the the uh oh the 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 manic pixie dream girl trope that comes through in this movie and elizabeth town and some of the others and 
there's a certain to me anyway there's a certain element of that with the movie like the movie is almost a manic pixie dream girl that kind of I don't know beckons me in every single time I watch it and I love it I just love I love Mm -hmm. watching this movie yeah no I I totally understand that and I I get the the level of it kind of being almost precious to where like it's not something you're just gonna throw on like uh, yes, I have it on. It's in the like background. a movie night event. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have it on in the background while we're talking, and I this is for sure the first time I have ever. I'm a big background movie viewer, but I, this is the first time I've ever had it as a background movie, and just and because uh, it's special, and I want to want it to yeah. remain special. Yeah, and there is there is something kind of magical about. Not just almost famous, but I'd say more than his other movies. Mm-hmm. But like Cameron Crowe really has this way of like, and you know he hasn't really been able to capture it so much in these later years. <laughs> but like there's there's a level of like real honesty. Yeah. And upon this last rewatch, I felt that so much in our, especially in our the leads, but like even in like, you know Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in his performance, all the way down to like Zoe Deschanel, who's barely there. Like there is such. A vulnerability mm-hmm. and like a just pure honesty to all of these characters of like this is who they are and they are like it's it's hard to say yeah. you know what yeah, i mean totally i totally agree um he it is a bummer <laughs> that he's <laughs> kind of I have hope um i don't know that but i still have hope that he'll figure it out again and, and rediscover the magic um that that he is capable of I, and maybe not i don't know maybe it's like a comedian thing where at a certain point you just aren't funny anymore. Yeah. Um, but I hope, I hope that he can, he can figure it out because you're right. Like he, uh, I think he gets characters really well. He also, he draws out great performances from his actors, whether they are the leads or like you're saying, um, you know, secondary characters and, and, and supporting characters and stuff. And there, I mean, to the point that like, for a lot of his his actors that have come through in his better movies, it almost feels like they didn't have anything left after, <laughs> <laughs> like they were in a Cameron Crowe movie. Like it is a long time before they were able to be great. Renee Zellweger is a great example. I think she is so good in Jerry mm-hmm. Maguire, and she certainly has some highs through the course of the next twenty years. But for me at least, I don't think it ever touched how good she is in Jerry Maguire. And in this one, it's, it's Billy Crudo. He is Russell Hammond is one of my 10 favorite characters of all. I love Mm -hmm. Russell Hammond and he, and you watch that for, I'm sure that was my introduction to, to Billy Crudo. And he's had a couple other pretty solid, the big fish he's good. in. he's had a couple other little things here and there, but there's never been, um, at least in a movie, something that touches as good as he is. This to me, and and there's several others through the course of 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 Cameron Crowe's filmography that that hit that that find it's like he it's, I don't know he's like a good performance vampire like he takes out the best thing yeah. that they have and you may not recall. Well, I mean, it's it kind of that. like it's kind of like the running joke that like Cuba Gooding Jr. was, I mean, in Jerry yes. Maguire, like yeah. he pulled that performance out of him, and if it weren't for that movie, like we would like, I mean, obviously the rest of his career has gone, I'm sure the way he, it should have gone. And that was kind of like a fluke, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Because he worked with the right guy and got the right character at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And Jerry Maguire is such a, um, I don't know what it, honestly, I wonder what it's like for, for you're a little bit younger than me. I wonder what it's like for you because it was already kind of like a meme. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It was, it, it, Jerry Maguire had this like weird phase for a long time where it was Mm -hmm. kind of a joke and you were like uh you should watch Jerry Maguire like Jerry Maguire is a really great movie and I know that it's memed and you complete me and all this sort of stuff but like that's a great Mm -hmm. movie and now I think it's come back around it feels like people are kind of rediscovering oh actually that's a really good movie not just a meme and you're like I've been trying to tell you you know and so um but that's that's uh yeah that's a good point with with Cuba Gooding for sure and now that's the, I mean, he's done. We'll never, there's, you know, there's, so. Oh gosh. I think I was watching something with him in it the other day and it was just so painful and such a joke. And like, I think within, I think maybe four or five times throughout that movie, 
my fiance and I were like, Academy Award winner, Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was Rat Race. It was yes, Rat Race. Totally. <laughs> okay. Okay, now first of all, no, rat, rat race is, is great, but, second, great, no, uh, but that is the lane that he was supposed to be in. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, that that's <laughs> a great way to put it. Yes, he's 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 supposed to be in rat race. He's not supposed to win <laughs> yes. an Oscar. Yeah, I agree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I'm a little less familiar with like I haven't seen um, say anything. But okay. I have seen Jerry Maguire. And then, so I first saw, um, I think I was also like 17 when I first saw uh, Almost Famous. It was on an HBO channel, I think, on like a random Saturday sure. that I was just like home alone. I don't know, maybe over the summer or something. And I um, I just like watched it beginning to end. And I was just like, what is this? Like <laughs> every single one of yeah. these characters is really hitting me. And also I was kind of like the right age to be just so taken with Kate Hudson as Penny Lane. Mm-hmm. And I was like, totally. I want to yeah. be her. I want to wear those clothes. I like started mm-hmm. searching for that, any kind of version of that coat that I could find. I was just like, <laughs> but I mean, she, again, like another example, like she is so perfect and so vulnerable but mm. also so cool as Penny Lane. Yeah. You know what's I funny? I think she is, got a Golden Globe um, nomination. I think that, yeah. She did, yeah, yeah. This movie is, up to me, I'm very biased. Obviously, it's my favorite movie, but I'm, it's, it, is, it was woefully underrepresented at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. This is just, it's such a great film, and it feels like the right it it feels like an oscar movie without being oscar yeah. bait to me and and then it only you know it got he camera crow won for screenplay and it got three other nominations but but it hudson got left out some of the other act, or no, hudson got nominated i'm sorry mm-hmm. but she didn't win um it just was a little bit odd to me because it's just such a great oscar type movie um but yes dude like kate uh, hudson is so good in this and i've never uh, I don't want to just keep harking back on what I said. I have never enjoyed Kate Hudson again, like anywhere close to the way that I did in this. She's like, it's like it took a very long time for her to refine mm-hmm. some of that for me. And I know she's been in line and, uh, you know, my wife loves how to lose. Yeah. Guy I mean, she definitely and, found and her groove fine, with you know? rom-coms and I, I'm a big fan of yeah. a handful of her rom-coms, but like, yeah. Sure. It just kind of took a while for her to, I mean, she just this like she broke mm-hmm. onto the scene as such a fresh face and a and you know just an incredible actress. And she's so good in the movie. Um, and then it you know I don't know that it ever went that way. But you mentioned how cool she is, and that's what um, watching this this last week it it's just kind of crazy. I think Crow. There's a lot of this that's super authentic, and he really got the spirit of the time and the the act the, the characters and like the whole scene and all that stuff because it's very autobiographical so he had mm-hmm. real experience with it and stuff and that's great one thing that he nails and then i don't know that had ever jumped out at me until this time around is how uncool all of these people are except yeah. for kate hudson like kate hudson is so i mean penny lane is such a cool mm-hmm. character and She's insecure and and ha- obviously there's a lot going on there because she's you know 17 or whatever. But um, but there's she still is such a cool character. And then you have these guys in the band who are I don't know. I mean I grew up in still in rock star era where we you know we still had I don't know I don't know what there's no rock music really anymore. So I don't know what kids today are like that band is awesome. There's not one. So I mean, they've got um, they're still listening to my bands from I guess when I was you know, yeah. I was younger but like the rock star thing of like gosh these guys are so stinking mm-hmm. cool and then you kind of uh if you ever get to know them you you really see like and he hits this so hard of like how not cool uh Russell Hammond is and and how not cool uh the Jason Lee's character I can't Jason Lee's character yeah yeah I always forget his, his name but yeah that but he that was a bit of a of a revelation for me on this last rewatch. Cause I never paid it, I guess, attention to like just what they were mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. Cause I was so like, Oh, they look so cool when I was younger. But like, 
that whole, I'd say, especially you get a lot of it right off the bat with Jason yes. Lee's character of him doing this like crazy manic monologue <laughs> when he's, you know, when they first, when William first gets in there and he's like, write this for Rolling Stone. And it's just like a bunch of like little buzzword mm-hmm, sentences mm-hmm. about like, feeling the music and blah, 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 blah. And like just saying whatever he thinks is cool. And he's like, just make us look cool. And like, and then again, when they get into that fight about the t-shirts and it just kind of all comes out Yes. and they're going back and forth and there's some real stuff there, but then they end the argument with Jason Lee's character saying, and by the way, we've all been talking about it. Your look (laughs) is becoming an issue. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's so petty. But it's based on the, the reality that most of these people aren't cool. I'm sure Mick Jagger's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I just there's no way that Mick Jagger's like not cool. But the Led Zeppelin guys are the biggest nerds ever. Like their half of their songs yeah. are based on Lord the of the Rings, Rings and stuff. And like, I mean, yeah. they, you know, they're they're total nerds and um, and they want to be cool. And I guess by being having the person, they were smart enough to figure out persona. all these guys, they're, they're smart enough to figure out persona uh-huh. or have somebody figure out persona for them because that's half or more of being cool. But when you get into this movie, there's just so many, t- yeah, Jeff Beebe is such a, an uncool character yeah. and he's so petty. And so, um, clearly he's like, it's, it's hanging by a thread the whole time. And they're all worried that Russell's going to leave them and stuff. But then the more Russell talks to to uh, to the guy, to our kid to to uh, to William, um, you see like, well, this dude's not cool. He doesn't get it either. He's 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 better at putting on the airs of being cool. Mm-hmm. But really, he's cool because he has great hair and a cool '70s mustache and the jacket, and he plays guitar. Yeah, and that's cool. There's nothing cooler than playing guitar. But. Um, but really, he doesn't have it together either. And I just, gosh, I love that. I it, uh, Crow just, I, to me, he just, he hits that so hard in the most, um, in a little bit of subtle ways. Mm-hmm. Like, he just lets you figure out that these guys aren't yeah. cool rather than coming out and saying it, you know? Yeah, you're, you're definitely on this ride with William. And I love how we do see it through his eyes of him discovering the music and discovering yeah. being a fan. And mm-hmm. then... I th- I think, I mean, obvi- this movie doesn't fully work without the Philip Seymour Hoffman character reminding him and being yes. that voice of reason and kind of like he spells it out right there in that first time they meet. Mm-hmm. And it takes mm-hmm. him going on this entire journey to like fully see it himself. But like without that character, I'm not sure that th- that point that you just made would actually happen for us as an audience too. I, that's a spot on. That's spot on. Um, when when Philip Seymour Hoffman died, uh, we talked about it on our show, and I, you know, we were just talking about our favorite performances, and he has, I'm sure he has better performances and more recognizable performances. This is the performance for me. Mm-hmm. I love it so much, and and I'm sure that's partly because I love this movie so much. So it's it's kind of easy to to fold that in. But you're totally right. Like he is. he's in the movie for like eight minutes. I mean, he's not a big player in this at all, but he is vital to the way that the, the story works Mm -hmm. and the way that it, that it unfolds and how he's, how they're able to, to tell this story. He's vital to it. And I, I don't know, like the, the, the intro with him is great. The, the couple of times that he calls him on the phone there, those are great scenes Mm -hmm. too. But, you know, when he's on, at towards the end, when he's uh, that quote of, of uh, you know, the only true currency in this world, in this bankrupt world is what you say to someone when you're uncool is like, that's like almost that's the it. subtitle for them. I mean, like the tagline for yeah. the movie, you got to put that on the poster because it's, it's so perfectly encapsulates not just William, but this whole movie and all these, these characters that are involved, except for Penny Lane, who's super, super cool. <laughs> um, everybody else is just, it's not. Yeah. And, and I, oh, it's so cool, man. I love that. And, I love the way he puts that down. And I, I like that Cameron Crowe really kind of fought to have him in that role mm-hmm. because apparently I was reading that, you know, he, uh, he recognized just how important that was. And he really wanted Philip Seymour Hoffman that, he was only able to film for four days and he had the flu the whole time, but they made it work. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's dedicated. I mean, that's a, 
this is why um, I I still we were talking about this in our our uh, VIP Discord a little bit of the difference between Cam Crow who hasn't made a good movie in a, in a long time versus some other directors who haven't made a movie in a long time and that right there is one of the things why I still have some mm-hmm. hope that he'll be able to figure it out again because that's a uh, maybe I'm over over uh, analyzing it but like to recognize that no we have to have Philip Seymour Hoffman for this role this this role is so important to the movie that I'm not just going to go down the line and get a really great character actor to fill that spot mm-hmm. like I have to have Philip Seymour Hoffman and we will figure out how to make it work is shows to me that like is it kind of a microcosm of like how well uh Crow sees the overall picture of the movies that he's putting together and understands like no this is important and we need to have this person for it and stuff so it like gives me a little bit of of hope that he'll be able to kind of rediscover it with the right story and all that Mm -hmm. stuff but uh yeah speaking of penny lane and how you're you're right that you know so everyone around her is just so painfully uncool but she is and um but i think she also and you know, credit to Kate Hudson really carries that like insecurity right along with it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, upon rewatch the, those three scenes kind of towards the end and, you know, obviously full spoilers for almost famous, but sure. um, it's the shortest scene maybe, but it's my favorite. And I found out, you know, reading some trivia, it's also Cameron Crowe's favorite when she's dancing around in that empty venue to, yeah. My favorite Cat Stevens song, but yeah, she's and then she's just on this like high of pure joy, and there's no one there watching her, but she's yeah. still this person who's just so fun and cool. And then immediately after that, we get the scene where Russell kind of trades her for sells her, sells her yeah. off to another band, <laughs> and just yeah. wholly betrays her, and then immediately after that is the scene where William and her have that great conversation under the tree and it ends up Mm -hmm. with him telling her exactly what happened, how Russell, you know, she's, she's finally kind of showing her cards about like, she's acting like a teenager. She's like, what did he say about Mm me? Um, she finally kind of looks like a teenager in a way that she hasn't throughout the most of the movie. She's kind of looked older than she is, but here she's just like, totally vulnerable in herself and he is like you've got to give this up he doesn't care about you and then she kind of cries but it's just like it's not overdone and i don't mm-hmm. know the mm-hmm. the way he put those three scenes back to back to back was just like so kind of like a perfect little bit of like breaking down the characters through their actions in a way that like mm-hmm. it just told i was just really really moved by it and I think that the the scene with her in I think it's in Cleveland, right? Like in the the amphitheater or, or whatever it is after the concert when she's dancing around on the floor afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think that's so key because it you you mentioned like the, the you know the next couple of scenes she starts she acts like a teenager in those scenes, and I I think that sequence of her dancing around is so important because it lets you kind of in your own mind reframe her as she is a teenager. Mm -hmm. Like she's been so cool this whole time. And yes, we've seen the insecurities, but it's, it's always felt like, um, she was sort of in control of the situation when she very much was not, but it, it, it kind of feels that way. And then you have that little sequence. That's such a throw in scene really. I mean, it, it doesn't, in the moment, it doesn't necessarily have all that much to do with what's happening, but you just get to see her being a kid kind mm-hmm. of, but she does, you're right. Like she does still have that, that same manic energy and it's great, but that like kind of lets you in your mind kind of recast her, reframe her, or, or maybe just remind yourself she's like 16 or 17 mm-hmm. years old. And then she goes through these next couple of things that are so ridiculous and terrible and difficult and she's not in control anymore yeah. and you see that get to play out and i don't know i'm sure it would be fine without that scene but that scene deepens all of that that comes over the next two mm-hmm. sequences that you're talking about and makes it more devastating but more real too yeah. and more honest and um, i forget because you get to see her like that i forget that it lasts only like what 15 seconds of screen time or something mm-hmm. but yeah, when totally. i think about yeah. almost famous that's one of the images that always comes to mind mhm mhm and i don't know 
I like I said, I never saw this in theaters, and I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it, it wasn't the director's cut. I think I think that's accurate, but somebody may be able to go back and look and say that no, that was it's always been. But I since then I have only ever watched Cameron Crowe's bootleg cut, and I don't know if that scene is even in the original cut or not. I mean, it's been so long since I've seen. It. So you're right, because that that is a scene that jumps out of my head. Is like that's part of Almost Famous, and I wonder if if that's uh, something that was even in the original cut. I mean, I don't know. Whatever version is on Amazon, mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's I his. I think they're all director's cuts that are out there now, but I, I could be wrong, yeah. but that's what it seems like. That's certainly what I watch every time yeah. that I'm watching. So Yeah, I certainly love that. Um, and then, okay, so I want to talk about Frances McDormand for a second. Oh, man. <laughs> I love her so much. She's just so good. She's so good. Ugh. And that character um, could have been so awful. Yes. Okay. That you're. This is this is exactly what. Um. I don't want to. This is your show. I don't want to jump all over the the. It's your. It's your is, movie though. You're the guest. <laughs> is she not the most perfect mom in that sequence? Like because she is insane. Mm-hmm. She's insane, and you want to be like in the hands of a lesser actress. That is an incredibly annoying character that we all dislike and we all walk away saying, well, you know, they're both of them are right to try to get out of this household. What a beatdown she is. But all she is is she just loves her. She's a little eccentric and she's a little weird, but she's a mom and she's trying her best to keep her kids safe and to do, you know, to do right by her kids. And it just comes out in the most annoying ways, which is a super mom thing to do you know and I love that I just think she's so and that you not just that we get to see her um in that state where she's super ridiculously overprotective Mm -hmm. and obnoxious but that you then also get to see her sort of have to mellow out a little bit and to have a little bit of redemption with her daughter and also kind of come to her son's rescue like the 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 monologue that she has with Russell on the phone oh, so always great. gets the attention and it's a great scene. But when he comes to the house at the end and she's like, Hey man, this is, you know, you really screwed him over and gives him a very pointed directed, but kind of still motherly direction of, yeah, there's hope you need for to make this right. And he just has that like quiet nod. It's that's, that's parenting right there. And that's so good. Gosh, she's awesome. She's so awesome. She's Yeah. She's so great. And apparently it's based off of Cameron Crowe's mom. Yeah. Yeah. Who was also like a professor and all this stuff. (laughs) I saw it when I was looking at research on this, that he like tried very hard to keep them separate, that he didn't want them to talk to each other on the set because he didn't want her to know and for her to know and stuff. And that Mm -hmm. it didn't work out that they eventually found each other and stuff that he was kind of terrified that what his mom would think when, when, uh, when she found out basically. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, just goes to show like, you know, Frances McDormand can't be shaken from her <laughs> acting choices. <you> know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As long as she's not in a transformers movie, she is awesome. That's the, that's the way that... is she in one of the later ones. She is. Yeah. It's pretty. Oh my uh, God. I know y'all just I talked mean, like, about it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be like, Hey, you know, get paid. Sometimes you got to get paid so that hey. you can go out and do a do a three billboards uh, type movie. So, yes. you know, take that cash and, and run with it. But it's pretty depressing when you see her on screen in a, in a Transformers movie. Yeah. 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 Hey, but she's married <laughs> to one of the Coen brothers. So there's that. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, oh, so I did in one of those really early scenes. I forget which city they're in but it's when he kind of like first walks into the hotel and he's walking down the hallway with penny and he's just like mm-hmm. oh my god this world around me there's like a moment he looks into and there's like a couple singing. is that mm-hmm. supposed to be someone that i'm supposed to know it is and i'm i i there was something in i didn't write it down when i was looking through the, the imdb notes and, mm-hmm. and trivia and stuff but yes it was supposed gosh darn um I can't remember who it was, but yes, it was supposed to be in like a, a short little homage to somebody from that, that scene. Yeah. Yes. I was like, we're, we're taking up, like, I was like, this is a, a choice to stop yeah. and look at yeah. this, these two musicians singing in this 
I like, I just don't know <laughs> yeah, who totally, they are. Totally. Yes, it was. And I didn't write it down. I can't remember who it was, but yeah, that was, that was a Cameron Crowe one second, two second homage type thing for sure. Yeah. Um, and then, so I can't listen to Tiny Dancer without thinking oh. of this movie. <laughs> it's such a great scene. That is, it's super uncool. We're, we're talking about being uncool. It's uncool yeah. to um to think that a musician or band's biggest song is their best song. Like that's a very uncool thing to do. That is one hundred percent Elton John's best song, and it is. I mean, it's just a. I mean, it is a perfect song, and they use it so perfectly in that mm-hmm. sequence. And um, the thing that. I mean, I love all of it. It's just so cool and and so well done. And what, but to me, the most like authentic part of it is, I think we've all been in a situation, whether it's with you know a a, a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a spouse or a friend group or something like that, where you're all kind of angry at each other, and maybe you're locked in your house during quarantine or something, <laughs> and you're kind of like you know, a little, a little antsy and, and frustrated with each other or something. And a thing happens and you cannot keep yourself from engaging with that thing. And I, I'm the type, my wife gets super annoyed with me because I, I'm not a particularly good singer, but I walk around the house singing all of the time and I take songs and put the dog's names in it. And I annoy my son (laughs) with the same bit and I'm just constantly singing. And I feel like I have been in that situation tons of times in my life where uh you you know you're with somebody that you're kind of frustrated with and then the song comes on and you're just you're trying so hard not to not to engage and you're putting the block in your mind of like no i'm not i'm not doing that and then it gets to the chorus of tiny dancer and you start singing tiny dancer and everybody and you can't that just feels so authentic to me whether it's you know whether it's tiny dancer in a in a bus full of musicians or it's some other thing. It's an, a re, a, 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 an office episode in the house with your spouse or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it just seems so, that seems such a real human thing to do. And it totally. turns into this great scene that I love deeply. It's, it's yeah. so good. It was uh, one of my biggest disappointments with Rocket Man um, that I liked. I really dug that movie. He doesn't when, seem tiny yeah, when they do Tiny Dancer, I'm like, this has already been done. It's been done way better than this. Um, Doesn't do and, it the way that, yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but right before that is, of course, the house party scene. Yeah. And uh, apparently, again, the same trivia, when he's on the roof and he says, I am a golden god, is something that apparently Robert Plant said, yeah. which, again, yeah. right back to the... I'm uncool, but this is my persona. So I'm going to say something yes. stupid. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. And again, too, like, <laughs> sorry. When he, uh, when, when Cameron moves the camera around to this group of kids they surrounding the pool who are expecting something profound <laughs> that changes their lives because this guy is our God and he yeah. is so cool. And he says, I'm on drugs <laughs> and, or, I dig music and they're all like, okay, well, it's not great, but, uh, well, it's fine. We'll, we'll make it happen, you know? And you know, when they tell that story, they're like, it was the coolest thing ever. But in the mm-hmm. moment you can't hide your, you're like, well, I don't know if that's really super cool or not, but yes, yeah. it's, it's, it's a great, again, this is, uh, because he, I say this a lot, but like passion projects or 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 movies that are based on like real life experiences for the director for the screenwriter it can really go south quickly because they're just so invested in it that they're not they don't look at things with a with a critical eye of what goes into the movie you know and that that can cause lots of problems but this is one of the great examples of no one else makes this movie nearly as good as it is like Mm -hmm. this movie is like i don't know if even a great director steps in and does it it's like 20% 20% better than Rockstar, you know, it's not almost famous because it had to be Cameron Crowe that did this movie. Mm-hmm. And that those little moments are the ones you get where he's painting the camera around and you see the faces of the kids being like, I don't know, this isn't that great. Yes. That's a, that's because he's been there and he understands like, this is what this would be like. And for it to be such a long script with so many scenes still have a lot of moments of really quick bits of humor Yes. And like, I mean, in in that same, you know, at that house party, he's, 
I mean, yes, he's on acid, but he's saying like that long spiel to the kids is like, you know, you're, you're real. This is you're Toledo. You are, this is what matters. And yeah. the kid just goes, you want to see me feed a mouse to my snake? And he just immediately. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was watching that. So I was watching this movie last night and I, uh, I walked out of my, my office um, while that scene was happening, I was walking, I just went to whatever, get a bottle of water or something. Mm-hmm. And I was, as I was walking out, that's what came on. And I, as I'm walking down the hall, I was like, yes, because like, yes. it's such a immediate <laughs> reaction. Like, absolutely. I do. You know? Yeah. And, and to, to disarm these characters in such funny, but like kind of authentic ways like that. It's yes. It's yes. so perfect. Perfect. It's it really to me, and I I'm super biased. I know because it's it's a perfect movie. It's a perfect yeah. movie. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad he I'm glad he uh, he went with pretty much the script that he originally sent out. From what I've heard, he sent it to directors, and they were like, "Direct every word. Don't." Yeah. 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 Spielberg, I think, was the one who got it, read it over. We, I think, I think Cameron Crowe was having a hard time getting the movie made. Like he was shopping it around and just wasn't getting a lot because it lost money. It didn't make, didn't make any money. So yeah. the studios were right on that front. Like, hey, this isn't going to do well. But, but that Spielberg read it over the weekend and and called him on Monday and said, and it was like a hundred and. 172 pages yeah. from the script. It's a long script. Insane. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and that he just said direct every word because this yeah. is this. It, Awesome. It's perfect. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a perfect script. Isn't it better to, I guess I didn't know this or I had forgotten. Brad Pitt was like super involved with this at one really? point. Like he was supposed to be Russell Hammond oh, at one man. point. And like, so I glad he's not. I mean, ex- love that's Brad, exactly how I feel. Yeah. 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 That's, that's exactly how I feel. I love Brad Pitt. It uh, would have taken but, everyone out of it. Cause you're just watching a Brad Pitt movie. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. I yeah, love I'm that. I had no I idea draw. who, literally anyone in this movie was when I first saw it. Sure. And yeah, I was a, yeah, I was a teenager, but like I grew up watching movies. I know who movie mm-hmm. stars mm-hmm. are. Right. I didn't know who Billy Crudup was. And I was able Same to here. just fully be Same like, here. that's Russell Hammond, you know? Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly how I felt. I recognize, I knew Jason Lee from, from the Kevin Smith movies from mall rats. Um, and I knew, I mean, Francis I knew who McDormand. Kate Hudson was, but yeah, yeah. sure. Sure, you had some familiarity, but there was there's nobody in this movie who is a movie star, um, certainly at the time, and there's nobody in this movie who is so much a character that they played previously that you'd have a hard time putting that aside. And that's mm-hmm. perfect. That works. And also, you 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 watch this twenty years later, and it's there's a lot of Zoe Deschanel in a oh seven God. minute role, Eric Stone Street in a one minute role that when yeah. he pops up, you know rain wilson works those. in the background at yeah, yeah. rolling stone and jay baruchel mm-hmm. is like the other little kid who's following yes. bands around i mean <laughs> yes yeah anna paquin a, is yeah i mean right great you, casting and, and grabbing um potential i mean future people that you're going to recognize not necessarily stars but future yeah. names and faces solid that actors yeah and filling in little little spots here and there mark maron has a part in right the he pops out you know Jimmy I Fallon, I think, is the him. one that, that gets the focus of, like, we all kind of remember Jim, respectfully, we remember Jimmy Fallon because he's he has a little bit of a bigger part compared to those some of those others, mm-hmm. but there's lots of them that pop up, and that's yeah. cool, too. It's a fun, like, totally. where's Waldo kind of thing when you're when you're watching now. Yeah, but just one, one kind of last thing I want to say to Cameron Crowe's credit here, and I did notice this particular when we're in the end when we're in New York, Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of brought the whole idea of like this really did feel very real, and it felt like it didn't feel like a movie from the '90s. It didn't feel like a movie from the 2000s. There's a lot of authenticity in how it's shot, and I think any almost any other director would have done B-roll of New York City as they're rolling mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. or B-roll of San Diego to start us out. Like, those kind of things that would almost cheapen how, like, intimate this story is, despite the fact that they're literally traveling all the way across the country. Like, yes, they're in New York, and they filmed it there. Mm-hmm. And he's running through the streets, and they're walking through Central Park, but, like, there's no, like, cheesy B-roll of, like... The Empire State Building and the yeah. plaza and, you know. I totally, yeah, I totally agree. I, 
Kent and I were just talking. Uh, by the time this comes out, it will be an episode that 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 has already posted. But we were talking about Apollo thirteen and Ron Howard. And one of the things that I love about Ron Howard is that he makes he makes movies for adults. He makes um, whether it's a drama or an action piece, whatever he's doing, he makes a movie that is geared. It's usually relatively mid budget geared at people who are our age basically and older Mm -hmm. and he consistently turns in um quality product that fits that team and Cameron Crowe the consistency has been lost and I'm super depressed about it still but yeah don't watch Rudy's yeah dude I I can't do it I was so I'm glad I was I was excited excited man I, I was again I was hopeful and then the reviews came out and I was like, I just don't think I can put myself through this. I don't, I don't want to do it. It, it, it no. hurts me. But, it almost but kind of, his it heyday. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go. Okay. Well, it almost kind of, you know, it almost kind of hurts almost famous's, you know, legacy in a way. Mm. Cause he's, he's trying, trying to... to recreate some of that gotcha. with characters yeah. that suck and like storyline. <laughs> that's not great. And like, uh, yeah, that's, it's a, that's a that's a real bummer. But in his heyday, he was he's making movies on mid mid budget movies for adults, and part of that is is what you're saying is like we're not gonna fill this up with with uh, cheap B roll with with CGI when we could not do it with CGI. You know what I mean? And we're mm-hmm. gonna do this the right way. I he's kind of a little bit of an old old school filmmaker um, in a way that he's. But without, I think at least, um, without being too caught up in it, but that we're going to try and make, we're going to try and make a movie the way a movie is supposed to be made. And we're going to put that to you and hope that the audience gets it and stuff. And And the plane scene is a great example of that. Gosh. We didn't need exterior shots of the plane. Totally. Totally agree. Having the the captain pop out twice is, uh, you know, hey, we're (laughs) we're, going to try and land this and we feel like we're okay. So just, you know, it's going to be a little bit bumpy. And then when he pops the door open the second time and it's clearly like that dude believed none of what he said when he came out the first time. He for sure thought they were dying. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And that sequence is great, too. You know, just them Mm -hmm. screaming at each other about how much they hate him and all this sort of stuff. Um, I that feels that again feels pretty authentic to what would happen in this situation. Totally. And apparently yeah. there's little nods to like Buddy Holly in there that I didn't even catch the first time, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love. And yeah. I, yeah, again, it's, it's you speaking to the passion project thing. Cameron Crowe put so much of his like true passion for music and like mm-hmm. music history without it getting in the way. Hundred percent agree. Like I could not say that he. They spent a ton of money on on the on the music on this mm-hmm. because it needed to be the authentic. Ton of music. needle drops, but none of ton. them. Yes. Bad. Yes. None of them inappropriate or weird or yeah. No, and always to me, always the right music cue at the right time. Um, without it was it a little f- weird that like "River" by Johnny Mitchell was like. Th- the song as they were coming onto the stage, but I guess sure. also like that would have been a, the big hit in 1973. Yeah. So I don't know. For sure. For sure. But for the, yeah, that's true. That one is a little bit odd, but for the most part, they, they hit at the right time. They're non obvious choices, which I love. I think mm-hmm. he's, a, I think as great as he is as a writer and as a director and all this stuff like that may be his actual best skill is the picking the right song for mm-hmm. the right scene and having it drop at the right time and stuff. It's, it's so good. But even the original music is off. fever dog bangs. Like that is an <laughs> awesome rock song. And I, it, you know, they only play it two or three times in the movie, but all those times I'm just like, yes, let's do, you know, that is such a great opening riff and the way that they get into it. Oh, I, I, I love that stuff. And the, those were, you know, that was him, Nancy Wilson and Peter Frampton sitting Peter down Frampton. to write, yeah, yeah, to write a rock album, you know, and that's what they came up with. And I think that shows because I don't and know. And they don't make I, a big deal out of it either. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's like these, they're bands, obviously we need some songs for them, but you know, we're mm-hmm, not going to make mm-hmm. it like, yeah, it reminds it's not me, like I mean, it's like a star is born where it's like, let's yeah, watch yeah. Bradley Cooper play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is a movie I which love. Which I love that movie. Love and it. I love the love It was those on my songs. top ten of the decade. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But but this is it's just a little bit of a different, and they're I get, they're going for different things. Those two movies, so I get it. But 
but this is like we're just kind of we're gonna slyly drop in this really good song that could very mm-hmm. easily be a massive hit from the 70s that we've just kind of forgotten about but no it got written yesterday um and it's it's great yeah yeah it, it adds to the authenticity level for sure for sure so um we don't do grades here because okay. you love that movie Yes, absolutely. Yes, if you're if you're coming on if you're coming on your on this show to talk about a movie that's not an A plus plus plus, then you've done things wrong, yeah. or your grading system is terrible. Yes, just, it's an A yeah. plus for you, and that's why you're here to talk about it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I do have. Um. Did you have any like little last thoughts before I follow up with my my uh, questions? No, I think I've. I'm. I'm sure your your listeners are tired of hearing me talk about this. <laughs> I've I've said plenty. I think. <laughs> okay. Um. See. So yes. Um. So, I. Uh, I do have some questions I like to ask at the end of the episode. So, what movie do you go to when like you need to like feel better or you're like kind of in a crappy mood and you want to like put something on or it's like a gloomy kind of day and you want to like feel good. What's your feel good go to? I like, this is a good question. I, I comfort food kind of movies for me. I really like, um, I like rom-coms. I don't know Mm -hmm. when, especially in the winter when it's kind of, dour outside and such i don't know like this this last winter i watch a lot of movies in the background when i'm trying to to accomplish when i'm trying to write or i'm working on podcast stuff or things like that i like long movies i watched lord of the rings or the harry potter series or something like that that's like a really long run that it can just be playing while i'm i'm working on stuff if i'm more like this you know it's 12 degrees outside and I just want to sit here and kind of chill and read a book or something. I, mm-hmm. I watched this last winter. I watched, uh, I watched, uh, when Harry met Sally, I watched serendipity. Um, I watched probably you've got mail. Those kinds of movies for whatever reason are, are always very comfort foodie to me. And I, I don't know, that's a very uncool answer, but this is, a no. cool, you know, this whole, <laughs> the whole movie is, yeah, I love, I love those. I love that type of, of I love those tropes and I love those I don't know I just find those movies very um they're easy to watch and they're very comforting and uh you, you know I always like the characters and all that, that sort of thing so yeah that's uh those are probably the 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 ones that I I rely on for for uh, for that kind of thing Ocean's 11 too is another one that I will watch at any time and I always oh. I like like a like a light laugh, but not a not a heavy laugh. I guess if I'm in that that setting, like the comforting thing, I don't want to just sit here and and lol the whole time. But a a chuckle would be nice. So I like I like those kind of movies. Totally, that's a good. Those are good. Those are good comfort food movies for sure. Um, What would you consider to be your favorite bad movie? One that probably doesn't have the best Rotten Tomato score, (sighs) but you love it anyways. Man. That is a good question. Many, many years ago, again, we did a sort of, I think we did maybe 300 episodes. We did our top 10 favorite guilty pleasure movies, I think. Mm -hmm. And the, the gist of that was that they had to be, uh, under, they had to be rotten on rotten tomatoes. I think that was the, the main one. Um, I love the A team. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the Bradley Cooper. Uh. Yeah, the Bradley Cooper <laughs> Liam Neeson movie. I love that. It's it's very stupid. Um, it's like the kind of the uh, the edited out parts of the Fast movies in a lot of ways. But I don't know. There's a scene in in A Team where they uh, <laughs> they drive a plane. No, excuse me. They drive a tank out of a plane and it's just falling to earth. And they start shooting the the gun on the tank to try to direct their their tra- travel, and yes. it's the stupidest thing ever. And Jessica Biel says they're trying to fly the tank, and it I don't know I love that. Um, <laughs> I love Newsies. That's that's like a big that one's rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, and it makes me angry because I I just think Aww. that's I know, and I I'm not a big music I'm really not the biggest musical guy, but but Newsies for whatever reason just has a very special place in my heart, and I love it. And I've seen it on, you know, on at uh, when it's done the the tour, the Broadway tour and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Um, the last one I'll give you is is a Knight's Tale. That one's a 
that one kind of fits the comfort food thing for me too for whatever reason yeah. I put that on and it's it's very stupid and the anachronistic music and stuff is dumb but it's it's fun to see Heath Ledger having fun because that was not a thing that he was doing the last few years of his acting career you yeah. know and and it's also kind of fun to be reminded that like oh there was a time where Paul Bettany was not just a person who appeared as <laughs> an angel or a Robot. vampire hunter or you know weird things like that that he just I guess is that's all he's going to do for the rest of his career uh yeah those those are all bad yeah. I, I don't know maybe those aren't bad enough but they're they're not well regarded critically at least and I, yeah. I love all of them yeah that 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 plays um so my last question it's kind of kind of an out there or an outlier but I love to ask it and I'm I'm here for it. But what was your first like movie character crush? Can I give you, can I give you, can I cheat a little bit? Can I give you two? And, Absolutely. Okay. Megan the first gave me one a whole was, list. <laughs> um, the first character that I can remember being like, mm -hmm. I like her was, <laughs> was so weird. No, no. Was, was Julia Roberts in hook as Tinkerbell. Okay. And That's I was a solid like, answer. I think I was eight when Hook came out. So it wasn't like a thirsty crush. It was just like, I don't know, like sort of a manic pixie dream girl type thing. It was just like, oh, there's, and I loved her. And then like every other boy my age, I was in love with Topanga from Boy Meets World. Yeah. Just full on in love and um, would still today, like if I, if I met Daniel Fischel, I would immediately revert to 13 year old me just be like I, I don't know how do I talk and just would be a complete freak show and it would be um incredibly embarrassing but yes I th that's those great. are the those are the big ones so that's awesome I love I love those questions <laughs> <laughs> the Julia no. Roberts one is even to myself like part of me is like what were we I mean I love Julia Roberts don't get me wrong but it's just kind of a weird one to to be um kind of crushing on for, yeah I guess but anyway well, it's, it's I, I talked to, um, Laura from, uh, on the download last episode and she was like, what was yours? And I was like, it's the older brother on honey. I shrunk the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Honey. I shrunk the kids. Uh, is the first, anyone who listens to our show knows, and I know you're kind of in the same boat. I cry at like so many movies. <laughs> I'm a big, big, I have really left an impression for any of your listeners with my recommendations of. <laughs> of serendipity and talking about how much I cry uh during movies but I I okay, love but like that is cry. your brand <laughs> it really is it's kind of I don't know no, I'm trying to lean into don't it be but embarrassed. wow it's uh that's 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 certainly something uh, my six-year-old like literally mocks me in movies when we go to see a movie in theaters uh he will he, when we saw Toy Story 4 he literally was like ah dad's crying again you know he just he makes fun of me and stuff so that's pretty rough how uh, but but Honey I Shrank the Kids is the first movie that I cried in and it was not the same as most of the cries that I have now. It was like a hysterical freak out, have to be carried out of the theater what? cry because the ant, when the ant dies. Oh, auntie. And oh I had my been God. sick. Like I, I mean, these are, cause I was, that movie came out in like 1988 or something. I mean, I was like five when it came out and I remember all of this, but like I had been horribly sick and this was like my first, I don't know, taking me out into the world again after weeks of, of being ill and the aunt died and I lost it. And I, my, my mom literally had to carry me out of the theater. Uh, I was just, and I was un inconsolable for, for 20 minutes. It was just so devastating to me for whatever reason. So, Oh, no. justice for good Andy. Times, good times. <laughs> <laughs> my kid was watching it on Disney plus yesterday or the day before. And I was like, I got to leave the room. I don't think I can handle this. I've never seen it since. Like I can't, I won't, I can't go back. Like I don't want to have like a PTSD type moment or something. Oh, I, we went to, uh, Disney world when I was in kindergarten and at uh -huh. the time it was, it was MGM studios was the park, not Hollywood studios. Uh -huh. And they had, yeah, yeah, totally. they had a like playground that was like, honey, I shrunk the kids. And you're at that. I don't know if it's still there. It's Pro not, probably but not. it was recently. And I was like, I can't go in there. I don't want to <laughs> see that. ant. I don't think I can handle it. So it's it's traumatic for me yeah. for whatever reason it's very there stupid, is but. there is a there is a couple of pictures of me a little five-year-old me standing on the giant um oatmeal cookie 
And then also, <laughs> and then also with Auntie. So, <laughs> oh, man, R.I.P. Auntie, you're a good one. You're a good one. Yes. <laughs> Side recommend, Honey, I Stronger the Kids. Still great. It's still so good. Oh man, Rick Moranis, bring him back. Let's go. Let's get some Rick Moranis going. Oh my gosh. All right. So, um, well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, oh no, this is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're doing this. This is this is a lot of fun. This is good stuff. So thanks excellent. for thanks for letting me be here. Well, it's you know in these times of quarantine <laughs> and yeah. there's no new movies coming out. I figured we could all use a little uh, little spirit ways. Yeah. I like how you're going the opposite route of what we've done on our show. That we're just like, let's watch bad movies and be depressed. It'll be awesome. And you're, and you're like, let's have joy. I'm so, like, I, I desperately need this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, um, I feel you. But yes, um, if you guys aren't familiar uh, with Mad About Movies, uh, please give it a listen. I, um, it's If you're a member of the VIP, which is where I've been doing most of my promoting for this show. <laughs> um, uh, feel free to reach out. Um, but yeah. And uh, where else can we find you online, Brian? You can find me on Twitter, Beagle 12. Um, you can find my, my occasional writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com um, and BrianDGill.com as well. Excellent. Well, I'm sure we'll have to have you on again to talk about another favorite. Um, yeah, totally. I'd love yeah. it. Until then, we will see you later. Bye.